0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Now, it's unlikely that any of us has ever been offered a million dollars. But if you can imagine the breathlessly overwhelming feeling that that would bring upon us to have that experience. And that should be the reaction that we get when we read John 14, verse 12. Jesus has been attempting to comfort his disciples because uh, they were very distressed about the announcement that he was going to leave them. And he had promised that he was going to prepare a home for them and that he was going to come back for them. And then after dealing with a question from Philip that we saw last week, he added solemnly, but also to provide comfort, verse 12. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to my Father. So the question we have to deal with this morning is, greater works than Jesus? Seriously? That's the promise. But but when we think of, of the promise, it seems almost real, unrealistic. Unrealistic. Because Jesus has healed the sick, he's calmed the sea, he's fed the 5,000 with a few fishes and a few loaves. We cannot do these miracles, but if that's the case, how could Jesus have said that we will do greater things? So, what kind of works are we talking about here? There are only two approaches to this verse other than saying that Jesus was simply mistaken. The first takes it as referring to miracles, but then limits the reference or seeks to explain why such miracles are not done today. The second refers to a different work entirely. Some who take the verse as referring to miracles find a supposed qualification in the word faith. The promise is only for those who have faith in Jesus. And since we don't see these miracles today of people being raised from a grave or people walking on water or stilling storms, we could conclude that we don't have enough faith or our faith is simply lacking. It is enough to reply, if this is the case, that since we are to do greater works than Jesus works, it would be necessary for us, according to this interpretation, to have greater faith than Jesus. And, And that's clearly impossible. And besides, Jesus didn't say anyone who has faith in me with a sufficient degree of faith, or even anyone who has intense faith. He merely says anyone who has faith in me. And that would include all Christians. And that's why we read in Matthew 17, verse 20, that even faith of a mustard seed is all that's required. So we're not talking about this overwhelming power of faith that just powers over, overwhelms things in life. Others recognize these truths, but seek to limit the verse by applying it to the apostles only. They did miracles. So consequently, this was a fulfillment. And many commentaries even take this, this route. In fact, one popular writer, uh, Arthur W. Pink, He writes, Some have understood this to refer to all the genuine followers of Christ, but this is manifestly wrong, for there is no Christian on earth today who can do the miracles which Christ did, such as cleansing the uh, lepers or giving sight to the blind or raising the dead. And this is from the grave, not somebody who who flatlines in a a, uh, 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 hospital. This is further attested to, In Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, "...therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by those who heard." while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributing according to his will. So these signs and wonders were to prove the message of the cross, the message of Jesus Christ, before the scriptures were canonized into the Bible. People had to know that what they were saying was true and there was power in the message. Now, this might be part of the story, but we may wonder even then, If the disciples, for all their miracles, could be said to match Jesus Christ or even to exceed what Jesus did. So let's look at spiritual works then and let's look at this from a different perspective. Here we are helped by the knowledge that God does not look at things as we do. And therefore certainly does not share our view of what constitutes greatness. Why, for instance, should a physical miracle be considered great at all? Why should this be the thing Jesus refers to? One clue we get comes to us from Luke chapter 10. In this passage, that gives Christ's response to the disciples after they had returned from a successful trip, and they returned and they said in Luke chapter 10 verse 17, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were excited because of tremendous things, casting out demons and the miracles they were performing. In other words, they were thrilled that they were able to cast out devils in Jesus' name. But look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, verse 19 to 20. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, That the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So, do you understand the emphasis of what Jesus is saying, where the real joy should be, the real power, the real miracle? It's not just in performing things, it's the fact that your name is written in the eternal book of life. That's the greater thing. So here Jesus explicitly weighs the value of physical miracles over against. Uh, and, and uh, against the, the, the actual salvation. And if that is so in Luke 10, then why wouldn't it be so in our text here in John chapter 14? I think that Jesus, what Jesus means can be seen in the narrative of the book of Acts. There are a few miracles of healing, but the emphasis is on the mighty works of conversion. The chief work was not performing miracles, but revealing the Father, bringing knowledge of the Father. As a result of Jesus' three-and-one-half-year ministry, when he left the scene, uh, he said goodbye to about 500 disciples. Now, I'm sure there were more sprinkled around the countryside. But fast forward 50 days, and the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, and they preach And in one day, over 3,000 people come to Christ. Probably more in Jesus' entire three and a half years. You begin to understand what the great works is here that we're talking about. These were the great works, and he is still carrying them out today. So, So let's put this in perspective. A blind man is healed by a miracle, and he can see for the remaining part of his life. But he dies. Now, take another man who remains blind his whole life, but receives Christ as Savior. Which is the greater miracle? Sight is temporal, right? But eternal spiritual change, that's the greater thing. And this is what Jesus is doing here. And if you recall back as we've been talking over the last few weeks, Everybody around Jesus wanted to see big. They wanted to see miracles. That's why the crowds followed him. They were amazed at what he could do, seeing blind people see and lame walk. And every time it happened, Jesus always turned it back to a spiritual lesson. But when the miracles slowed down, so did the crowds. And you recall, we said last week that one of the reasons the Jews rejected Jesus is because they wanted their Messiah to come riding in on a great white charger to defeat all their enemies and set up the kingdom. But he came in quietly on the back of the donkey. They didn't want that. He's heard in that still, small voice. And yet today, we put such a high emphasis on physical miracles, as if that's what we're all about. What we're all about is the saving of souls. And what Jesus is emphasizing here is that what the church ought to be about it's not miracles in physical sense, but the miracle of a changed life, the miracle of a heart won to Christ. And as you and I move into 2015, what greater way to move in, knowing that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do these works, to bring people to Christ, to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So quickly, let me summarize this portion here. The works Christ refers to are spiritual works, primarily the work of regeneration that takes place when the gospel is proclaimed through the power of the Holy Spirit. That the word, the word here, things or works, rather than signs or miracles is used. Also, that the phrase, the greater works that these will he do, because I am going to Father, in the literal translation, the word things or works isn't there. It literally says, um, and greater than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. So the point is simply that Christ, that we will do greater things than Christ because A, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, and B, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to empower us to do the things he's called us to do. Every person in this room who has trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior has been given a band-aid to preach the gospel, okay? Number two, the reference in this verse is to every Christian. And for this is the only possible meaning of the phrase, whoever believes in me. This does not mean that every Christian will have the ability to be a great evangelist. There are diversity of gifts for sure. But it does mean that the testimony that leads to conversion of any individual is greater in the Lord's sight than any physical miracle again physical miracle, miracles are temporal the goal ought to be the eternal miracle of salvation that miracle is temporal salvation is eternal and the combined efforts of god's people in this area is a major major victory and it will be and it will lead to major victories in grace fellowship church in 2015 if we will all embrace the call that God has laid on our heart. And that's the beauty. Because it's not confined to a select few. It's not confined to the preacher. It's not confined to the deacons or the elders. It's not confined to Sunday school teachers. It's for every person in this room who has accepted Christ as Savior. Now you may say, "Yeah, but Craig, I, I can't talk people. I mean, I really struggle, and, and, and I get that. I really do. But never underestimate the power of a surrendered life, because when you surrender your heart to the will of God, he will do things through you that you can't explain. He will do things through you, because after all, he's the one doing it, right? You and I don't save anybody. The Holy Spirit does We're simply the lips that he uses to get the message out. So be strong in your faith. Have the power in your heart to read the word of God and understand that when the Holy Spirit was given to you, he was given to you explicitly to empower you to walk with Christ. And that's another amazing thing. When you accept Christ as Savior, you get all of the spirit you're ever going to get you don't have to wait for some extra filling or extra thing no no you get him all right up front you know what happens a lot of times is that there comes a period of time in people's lives when it's time for you to be used and the spirit will move in a different way or there are times when you finally quit living your life your own way and surrender the spirit and amazingly the things start to happen That's not some extra filling. That's you getting out of the way to let him do what he had ordained to do in the first place. So, the power and the ability to walk with God is so real for each one of us. And just imagine walking into 2015 with a church full of people sold out, emptied of themselves, filled with the Spirit to live for him. What could possibly happen here this year? I mean, the sky's the limit. So, Let me give you four conditions, though, because all of this sounds good, but there are four conditions that are necessary for you and I to really grasp what we're doing. Uh, The promise of Jesus in John 14, 12 is a very great promise, and it is an awesome promise because it applies to all of us. So here are the, the conditions. Number one, we must have faith. We must have faith. Jesus begins the sentence by saying, whoever believes in me. This literally means anyone who has faith in me. In other words, if you believe me and the words that I say, you will do the works that I have ordained. What I have to say now is for my followers. Is Jesus your Savior? Have you trusted him for your eternal life? Have you let go of your own strength and allowed him to take over in every area of your life? Without a full surrender, we are destined to flounder. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And then he goes on to say after that, In this is my Father glorified, so that my children bear fruit. So when you and I are praying to bear fruit, that is a prayer request that is guaranteed to be answered. Because when it's answered, God is glorified. And that's the whole purpose, right? So it's not that complicated. It's not that difficult. It's merely allowing the Spirit of God to take over so he can be glorified. And that's when you and I can understand what John fifteen seven was talking about. Abiding in him, his word abiding in you. Ask what you want because those prayers will be led by the Spirit. They'll be born in heaven. Number two, we must pray. This is part of the theme we will be developing next week. Notice verses 13 to 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Praying is a condition for doing the mighty works that Jesus talked about earlier. Do you pray specifically for those to be saved? The prayers that are inspired by Christ in the name of Christ will be answered. That's why we give over ourselves to the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to pray through us. We emphasize this a lot on Wednesday nights, when the folks come together corporately to pray. Because we're not just coming to pray, we're coming to be led by the Spirit in prayer. We're coming to pray the prayers that he puts on our heart. Because those are the prayers that are answered, those that are born in heaven. And many of us here this morning are sitting here now with heavy burdens. Some people are shouldering a real load right now. And your heart is heavy. And it's very difficult to see past the fact that God could really answer that prayer. But the word of God is clear that when you surrender to him, he will move. And it's through faith and prayer that he moves. Then we come to number three. Our love for Christ must be expressed in obedience. John fourteen fifteen: If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now this sounds like a very simple thing. But it's interesting that these two things go together. They're like opposite sides of the same coin. Love for Christ and keeping his commandments. And it's clear why it is so. If we do not keep Christ's commandments, we can't really say that we love him. Because what we call love is merely sentiment or affection. If we are to do great works for Christ... We must have fervent love for Christ and we must determine to keep his commandments. Our fervent love will result in fervent obedience. I mean, it is literally impossible to love someone or something to the degree that obedience is not present if the love is real. And that's what we're talking about here. If you love me, he says, keep my commandments number four we must be empowered by Christ's own spirit John fourteen sixteen through 17 and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever now, <clears throat> let me just stop there for a second because Jesus calls the Holy Spirit a helper how many of you need help getting through this life Right? We all do. Okay? Jesus said, he said very clearly, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. So, disciples, I'm leaving you. I'm going to heaven. While I'm there, I'm going to be preparing a place for you that when I come back for you, we're going to be there together. But in the meantime, I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send someone who will work in and through you to lead you into all truth that's an amazing amazing thing to realize i will give send another helper to be with you verse 17 even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you so if you're here this morning and you name the name of Christ, that spirit is dwelling inside you right now. And what Jesus is telling these disciples is when that spirit comes, obey it. Resign yourself over to the spirit. Let the spirit live through you. Let the spirit of God guide you into all truth. That is an amazing formula. Simple, yes. Difficult, yes. Yes because it battles with our flesh. But the reality is when you and I yield to that spirit, then God's in control and he will guide and govern us through every situation. In one sense, the, uh, the presence of Christ's spirit is involved in all we've been speaking about previously because we cannot believe without the spirit. But in another sense, this is also a separate point because, because in the uh, mentioning it, Jesus reminds us that we can do nothing without him. Earlier in John 14, verse 10, it said, The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Now, notice this. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. So, when Jesus was trying to get them to understand, and later he says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything Jesus is doing, he makes clear, look, it's not me, it's the Father in me. Do you understand that? It's not me, it's the Father dwelling through me. So now, it is as if you and I should say, echoing the teaching, that the words that we speak in the works that you and I do are not ours, but the Spirit that dwells in us. And therein lies the secret to a powerful Christian life. It's not you or me. It is getting out of the way so the Spirit of God can live through us. That's the power. And so when this world throws all kinds of catastrophes at us and difficulties and trials, which it's going to do, it's never going to end, folks, as long as we're here. We live in a sin cursed world, people make mistakes, we make poor decisions. Things happen to us. Illnesses come. uh, Wars, rumors of war. It just goes on and on and on. But here's the reality. The Father already knows that. He knows. And that's why he's given the helper. Because he's saying, listen, my child, you trusted me with your soul. Now, I'm giving you my spirit to live through you when the storm winds blow, you're anchored. When you get bad news from the doctor, you're anchored. When things don't go to suit you in life, you're anchored. When the bottom falls out in finances, you're anchored. Let me deal with it and watch what I can make of that situation. I can't help thinking that when a church corporately seizes this and allows the Spirit of God to live through us, we will change the community. We will change the community because it won't be us. It will be the Spirit of God. And what greater life can you and I live than to know that from the time I get up in the morning until the time my head hits the pillow at night, the Spirit of my Savior has lived through me. And wherever I go, whoever I talk to, whatever I'm faced with, for some, getting up in the morning is a tough thing. I mean, there's no sense in minimizing it. This is no pie-in-the-sky thing about trust Christ and your problems are gone. Well, I don't know whoever believed that one. Sometimes they get worse, right? But when the Spirit of God is let go to live through you, every person in this room i guarantee you by the authority of this book god will use your life in a mighty way and when he does he will use this church in a mighty way so as we move into 2015 let's begin to think and ask ourselves some real serious questions lord is the spirit unhindered in me do you have full control of every area of and if not, show me the areas that I need to turn over to you. Because this year, I want you to own all of them. For your God, glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your words. And thank you so much for this amazing verse. For us to sit here today in 2014, ready to move into 2015, and realize that you promised clearly that we would be able to do greater works than you, knowing that while you, no one can match your miracles, no one can match your death on the cross, no one can match anything you did, but your whole influence was in a very small region of the world. But you empower us through your spirit to take your message into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We know, Lord, that that just 300 years after your death, that Christians had Stomped almost all the heathen temples out uh, in Rome and that millions of people had come to Christ And today millions are coming to Christ all over the world These are the greater works we do because your spirit lives within us And lord if we don't even need to think globally right now We just need to think right here in this room and in westerville in our families in our friends in our workplaces in our schools, in our dorm rooms, wherever we are, God, we can make a difference because of your Spirit. And so I pray that all of us would surrender to you, inviting you to take full control of our lives, that we might bring honor and glory for you, and that the whole focus of our life would be glorifying Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord praise you.